You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, Resonate, so good to see you. My name is Chris. I get the joy and honor and pleasure of being one of the pastors here with Resonate. We are in a sermon series called The Family Way, which is really us attempting to ask the questions, what is the role of the church in modern day life? And what is the role of the church in the life of the believer? How, as Christians, should we view what the church is supposed to be? Tell you a little story. In uh, July of 2019, my wife and I were involved in a, a little bit of a hostage situation. So uh, we didn't know it uh, at the time that it was going to go down this way, but we had a tiny little baby girl that was born into our family who took over our house and took over our lives. Uh, seven and a half pounds when she was born, big blue eyes, looks just like my wife. Her name is Callie. She's almost four years old right now. And she took over. She took everything. Like she, she totally changed the way that uh, we slept as a family, totally changed the way that we ate as a family and our rhythms in a lot of ways uh, just adapted to the fact that now we have this little girl who's in our home and we get to raise her. What an honor and what a joy it is. So uh, just tell you a little bit about my background. I did not grow up with any biological sisters and, uh, and I had no idea what it meant to be a father of a little girl. So I felt uh, a really high pressure, I guess, to like learn how should I raise a little girl? And how is this different than raising a little boy? These questions that you start to ask uh, once you have kids. I think it would be wise of you to start to ask them earlier. Uh, but I start to ask these questions when Callie comes into our world. And so I'm kind of on this search. I'm on this hunt throughout uh, the relationships I have to ask fathers who have daughters, hey, what's it like? What do I need to know? And, and I'm not just asking individuals, but I'm also trying to intake information. So I'm trying to like search the whole internet to find books about how parents and specifically dads should raise kids and specifically little girls and daughters. And I stumbled upon this book called The Wonder of Girls. Uh, and it is the definition of like the don't judge a book by its cover sort of thing. The cover is so lame and the book is so incredible. I mean, it was unbelievable. In the first few chapters, it talks about the uh, the development of the female brain and how that works different to the development of the male brain, how chemicals fire in the brain of little girls in this age range differently than how uh, they fire differently in, in the brain of little boys, how girls' language development grows much, much earlier than that of little boys. And, and I'm just learning stuff about my daughter. And I'm also like learning stuff about all of the ladies who have been around me uh, in my family and in my relationships. And I'm just like, wow, I wish I would have known this stuff earlier. So one of the things that I recognize early on as we're reading is that there are these crises moments that happen specifically in the lives of young women. And in these crises moments where hormones are flooding from the brain to the body and, and figuring out how they should live in society and how they should view the world, there are some critical components in the environment around young women that is really necessary for them to th grow and thrive 
through those seasons, to make it through those seasons and make it out on the other side as really healthy. And one of the things that this book really showcased was that the presence of relationships outside of the parent relationship has to be there for young women to thrive best. And they talked specifically about family members who could speak back to the young woman about who they are, that they could actually reinforce the things that parents were teaching the young woman, that whether it was a cousin or an auntie or a grandmother or a grandfather or a good family friend, that there needed to be at least two or three relationships outside of the parent-child relationship to reinforce this exact thing who you are, that in the crises moments of the life of a young woman, they need to not only hear from their parents who they are, they need to hear from a community of people around them who they are. Because this young girl is going to go to school one day and have a bully who is uh, very sensitive and insecure about themselves point a finger at this young girl and tell them stuff about who they are that's not true then that young girl is going to come back home and they're going to start to believe that. And if there is an absence of loving, caring, defensive, protective voices to correct the voice of the bully, if there's an absence of that, then that young girl might come home and start to believe that what that bully said about her is really who she is. This young girl is going to start to see stuff in magazines and in marketing and start to go, that must be who I am. I'm supposed to dress that way, or I'm supposed to talk that way, or I'm supposed to think that way. And if there is not the presence of voices all around this young girl in her environment to correct and defend and protect and say, that's not who you are. This is who you are. If there's the absence of that voice, then that young woman may start to be formed by the voices that don't care about her, don't love her, and don't protect her. These people serve as reminders. This is who you are. We're here to remind you about that. You're going to want to believe stuff about your stuff about yourself that is not who you are. We are here to remind you this is who you are. It's a very long, very long analogy to help you see this as Christians. We need to be reminded who we are. And specifically, as the church, which Christ refers to as his bride, we need to be reminded of who we are. We need environments around us where people point fingers at us and say, this is who you are. We need defensive and protective and clarifying and redirecting voices around us to say, that's not who you are. This is who you are. We're going to hear stuff from culture. You're going to hear stuff from society. You're going to hear stuff from voices outside of the family saying, this is who you are. This is how you've acted. This is how you've always acted. And if there are not ways for us to go back to the truth, then we might tend to believe that we are something that we are not. And so this sermon series really is all about us helping redirect our attention to the identity that we have in Christ as the family of God, as the bride of Christ, as to who we are. We need the words of Jesus to do this. We need the early church to do this. We need the generations of Orthodox Christians who have come before us to do this. And this becomes the environment around us. They are extended family, if you will, to remind us of exactly who we are. So here's a question today. What is the Christian in the world and what is the church 
in the world? What is the family mission in the world? How do we represent ourselves in the world? That's what we're tackling today. I wanna give you just a minute to do a thought exercise and a creative exercise that we'll come back to a little bit later on in the sermon. And here is the exercise. I would love for you to take just a minute right now and draw a picture of the church. Draw a picture of the church. When someone says, draw the church, I want you to draw what comes to your mind. Why don't you take just a minute, take a pen and a paper and do that right now. Well, that might have been an interesting experience for you. I'm, maybe no one's ever asked you to draw the church before. It's it's a weird thing maybe to ask and even to think, okay, what is the imagery that comes into my mind when I think about the church? So much of what we do as Resonate is to help deconstruct the images and the beliefs that many people have about what the church looks like, what the church should do, and who the church is. We try to deconstruct many of those things that you may have heard about the church or been told about the church by the pointing finger bully, maybe. Or maybe the bad past church experience. Or maybe what culture says the church is supposed to be. Maybe even what you, in your personal experience, have understood the church to be. We want to help clarify, this is what the church is, this is what the church is not. And then we want to help people see clearly, through the words of Jesus, through the example of the early church, and through the example of Orthodox Christians before them, generations of them who have come to really figure out who are we. So we'll be in two texts today, Matthew 28, 19 through 21, it's called the Great Commission, and Acts chapter 2, verses 20, uh, 42 through 47, which is called the Fellowship of the Believers. The Fellowship of the Believers and the Great Commission are our two guiding texts to be able to see in Scripture what should it feel like to be part of the church and why should it feel that way. We're going to start with Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We'll read it here and ask the question, what should it feel like to be part of the church? And this will give us insight into asking the question, what is the role of the church in the world? What's the family mission? This is Acts 2, 42. They, that's, that's the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and their possessions to give 
to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God, and they enjoyed the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a passage of scripture that I think every Christian should dwell in. I think this is a section of scripture that you would do well to memorize, to commit to memory, the fellowship of the believers. What does it feel like to be part of a church? When people are looking for a new church, usually what they're looking for is what does it feel like to be part of this church? And to try to imagine that, what might it feel like if I committed myself to this specific local group of people with this name that meets on Sunday in this building and has these programs. And some people will say the best way for me to understand what it feels like to be a part of a church is to go to their Sunday worship service. And so what really matters is how I feel in the Sunday worship service. Then other people might say, you know what really matters to me is how I feel in relationships. And so I want to go to a small group. I want to actually experience what it, what it feels like to be a part of a village or to be a part of a grow group. I want to feel what the relationships around me feel like because that is a primary um, um, understanding. That's a primary thing that I value and how and what it feels like to be a part of the church. And I think those are both, they, they can both be helpful. But what it felt like to be a part of the early church was this. This is striking. It felt like dailiness. Dailiness is what it felt like to be a part of the early church. What it felt like to be a part of the early church was seeing other believers who were a part of the church every single day. Spending time with those people every single day. Why? Those people became like brothers and sisters to one another. The culture around them was, was largely in persecution, their stance of persecution towards the church. So this group of people was forged into a family and it felt like family to them and they spent every single day together. If that is off-putting to you, the thought of spending every day with the people who are a part of the church, then I would say you would have hated being a part of the early church. You would not have wanted to be a part of that group of believers. The fellowship of believers in Acts would have been something you didn't like how it felt. But something we try to do at Resonate is to emulate in as many ways as is appropriate the experience of what it felt like to live on mission in the early church. It felt like food. They feasted together. They ate together. They broke bread in their homes, verse 46. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. If you like eating, you will like the church. If you enjoy feasting with other people, you will like the church. If you enjoy throwing lavish feasts and doing so with gladness, then Christianity has something beautiful for you because that is not only welcomed in Christianity, that is expected amongst believers. That's what it felt like to be a part of the early church. If you don't like food, you would not have liked the early church. It felt like learning together. 
Learning together is what it felt like to be a part of the church. And that's what it should feel like to be a part of the church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to being taught by people who walked with Jesus. By being taught. And if you don't like learning, you're not going to like the church. If, if you only like learning what you enjoy learning, then that's a little bit different than being teachable. There's a difference between being a learner and being teachable. A learner is a person who goes, hey, these are the things that I'm passionate about. I'm going to pursue these things because I'm passionate about them. I want the information. But somebody who is teachable is one who says, hey, there's probably information that I don't want, that I might not like to hear, but I still think I might need those things. And what it felt like and what it should feel like to be part of the church is to be a learner. It should feel like sacrifice of possessions. It should feel like giving stuff up in order to help people who have need. Man, if you've not ever sold anything in your home and taken that money and given it to somebody who needed it, you are lacking in a, a basic Christian experience, a, a very biblical Christian experience, which is to look around your room, to look around your house, to look in your garage and go, what, don't, what do I have here that's worth something? And who is it that needs this thing? And not to go, how much extra stuff do I have that I could have a garage sale for because I don't use it anyways, but actually to ask, what possessions do I like that might be worth something that I need to give away to another person? That's what it feels like. The believers had everything in common. They shared everything. They sold their property and their possessions. They sold their houses, some of them. Some of them sold their businesses. Some of them sold their inventory. Some of them sold the very basic things that they used to live just to give the proceeds to people who were needy. If you've not done this, I would encourage you. There are people who are going to elevate, who need money to go to Elevate. And maybe you're one of those people that's going, but, but if you feel like, hey, I can't go, but I wanna fund what happens at Elevate or on a summer trip or a winter trip, why don't you try selling something of great, great value and importance to you and giving the proceeds to that person who needs to go. I guarantee you it will put you in a different frame of mind and it will join you with the feeling of what it felt like to be a part of the early church. It also felt like transcendence, and it should feel like transcendence. It should feel like something mysterious and wonderful is happening in the people. Verse 43, everybody was filled with awe. There was a continual sense of the Lord is at work in me personally, but also in the people around me. Verse 47, they praised God. They enjoyed favor with all people. The Lord added to their number daily. There is something awesome and mysterious and wonderful happening that people can only attribute to the very hand of God on them. That's what it should feel like in your soul. That's what it should feel like in the people around you. And that's what it felt like in the early church. What should it feel like to be a part of the church? Acts 2, 42 through 47 is a beautiful picture of what that could look like. Man, if I could pick this up and lay it down on Resonate Church, if I could take this and, and, and take it from, uh, uproot it and implant it into our church, I would. I would trans, I would uh, uh, superimpose this. I would transpose this on top of who we are. In fact, even to say, how do we get to this place? How do our villages feel like this? How do our churches feel like this? How does it feel like this in your unique context? Well, dailiness and food and sacrificing possessions and learning and 
Understanding transcendence, man, these are incredible ways. Why should it feel like this though? Why should it feel like this? Why is this what the church should feel like? Well, it's because there is a mission for the church that these things push forward. The mission that the church and that believers have been given are pushed forward and amplified by these sorts of activities and these feelings. This is the mission. And it's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 21. This is Jesus speaking to the early apostles. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded with you, commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. This commission is given to believers, to Christians, to the people who spent time with Jesus. And this very same commission is given to modern day believers, modern day Christians, modern day people who spend time with Jesus. This was not written then for them only. This was also written then for them as a model for our lives and a commission to us. This is a collective calling. So this is not the sort of thing where Jesus pulls one guy aside and goes, hey, you need to be a disciple maker. You are going to be the disciple maker. And and maybe I have something else for these other people to do, but you're going to be the guy. No, this is a collective thing. I mean, he's speaking to the people who would become the church. These are the people who are uh, following Jesus personally, but then who will go out and actually execute on this mission. And it's not just to one person in one place at one time. This is collective for every single Christian. What does that mean for you? That means that there is a commission on your life, a commission on your life. You don't have to wait to be commissioned by a job. We don't have to wait to be commissioned by somebody who's going to hire you for something later on. You are already commissioned by Jesus to do a work in his kingdom for his glory. And that work is this, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey all of my words, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded with you. And by the way, you're not doing it alone. I will be with you when you do it. This is a collective calling. And this is who we are. This is who we are to be. These are the words of Jesus speaking back to us. Hey, those things you've heard about the church, those things that you've heard about what it means to be a Christian, yeah, those aren't who you are. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you what you're supposed to do in the world as a Christian. Let me tell you that it's not all of these things that society might say you should do as a Christian. Let me give you my words specifically. Let me give you my example of the first church so that you can follow that. Let me give you the example of Orthodox Christians, generation after generation, who have done this thing to bring the gospel to you. The way that we implement this as a local church so practically is through starting new churches. We do this by starting new churches. We call it church planting. The imagery is putting a seed of the kingdom of God in the ground. 
and letting it sprout up and grow into something that is beautiful and something that is thriving and something that bears fruit and something that creates shade for the tired and the weary and the lonesome. This is something that Jesus has to say. From this church will sprout living things, thriving things, families, people who have been redeemed by Jesus and have something to say about that to the world. This is why we plant churches at Resonate Church. That's why we do it. We also put a heavy emphasis on the Great Commission. If you've been a part of us for a while, we put a heavy emphasis on the word go. And that's the very, I guess, second word in the Great Commission. Therefore, because all these things that happen in Jesus' life, go, go. It's such a simple word, but there are so many connotations to the word go, but we put a heavy emphasis on the word go. Go to elevate, go. Go start a village. Go start a grow group. Go on a spring break trip or a winter trip. Go move to a brand new city that you've never lived in before and start and plant a church there. Why do we emphasize this word go so much? Well, it's because Jesus said go. Jesus said go. And that's, that's the commission is to go. Go. Go, go, go. Get out of here. Go. That's why we emphasize it so much. That's just the facts. Like just, if you just read this and you go, I want to do what it says, then you would say, okay, my feet have to act as a result of this. I have to go somewhere. I have to go do something. We want going to be the normal state of our church. We don't want stagnancy to be the normal state. We want to normalize going. We want to normalize motion. We want to more, uh, normalize momentum in those things. Now, are there times where people should stay? Absolutely. Are there cases where people should stay where there are? Absolutely. I mean, just a, a few chapters later after the Great Commission, Jesus will say, stay here. Don't go yet, but go. But don't go yet, but go. For sure, you should go. Are there cases where people should stay? Absolutely. But we don't want those to be the norm. We want those to be the exception. And the issue comes when everybody goes, hey, I, I, I think I should stay. When everybody goes, I should stay, then going is not the norm. Going is the exception. No, we want going to be the norm because the Great Commission actually says, go, go, go do something. When everybody says that, we have real, mo real, mo uh, real momentum. This is really straightforward. I want to just finish off with four reasons why we plant churches. Just wh why do we even do this? I want to give you four reasons that I think are rooted in some scripture, rooted in history, rooted in math, rooted in biology, <laughs> all of these things. Let me give you four here. Four reasons why we start new churches. Here's the first reason. It's a historical reason, okay? Historically, uh, the 12 apostles who heard the Great Commission from the mouth of Jesus, who, who stood there listening, I guess it was 11, uh, who stood there listening, took the Great Commission literally. Okay, they literally did what Jesus told them to do. And do you know what happened? They 
started churches. The output of obedience of the Great Commission for the apostles who were standing around Jesus had followed him and become the beginning of the history of Christianity. They took the Great Commission and they started churches from that. They made disciples and those disciples formed churches, local churches together. They walked with Jesus. Could it be that because they were there, they actually got that process right? Is it possible that that the output of the Great Commission ends and continues on through starting new churches. We see this in history. The second reason is a mathematical reason. Here's the reason. The more churches there are, the more people are in church. The more churches available, the more people are in church. That, it kind of makes sense, right? If there's one church in the whole world, there's, there's just no way that that one church will be able to reach everybody. There's got to be a lot of churches, a ton of churches. In fact, right now in your city, if, if by some miraculous movement of the Holy Spirit, uh, like your entire city said, hey, I want to go to a Sunday gathering this morning. Like, let's just say somebody in one of your cities, like God moved in your city and everybody in the whole city said, I want to, I want to go to worship service today. There are not enough churches to house that many people. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. The more churches there are, the more people are in church. We see this with huddles. The more huddles there are, the more people are in disciple making and discipleship. We see this in villages. The more villages there are, the more people are in villages. Real simple way, if you want to grow your church in your local area, if you want to grow it, a simple way is to start more villages. More people who are in village are connected to more villages. The average size of a church today in America is somewhere between 40 and 60 people. Somewhere between 40 and 60 people. And there's just no way that that is big enough to engage everybody. It's a mathematical problem. There's a church planter in Hawaii whose name is Ralph Moore, and he started a church called Hope Chapel in the 1980s. Today, Hope Chapel is responsible for the starting of over 2,400 other churches. 2,400 other churches. The guy is a square, okay? <laughs> he's, he's not very cool. I mean, he's soft-spoken. I mean, he's, he's, you walk into a room and there's nothing spectacular that you would notice about him. But in an interview, he, 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 they asked him, hey, why did you guys start like starting so many churches? He said, well, for me, it's just math. It's just mathematical. Uh, I knew that I could never lead a church of 5,000 people. I knew I could never do that. I don't have the leadership capacity to do that. I don't have the know-how to do that. I can't do that. But I know I could lead a church of about 50 people. And if we started 100 churches of 50 people, well then, yeah, that's gonna, that's gonna work itself out mathematically. If we start 1,000 churches at 50 people, then we're talking 50,000 people who are connected. That's mathematics. And that's beautiful. And so there's a mathematical reason behind this to reach the ends of the earth. We need more churches. The third is a biological reason. And here it is. Every church has a lifespan. This is, <laughs> we don't talk about this very often. Here's a question for you. How many of the churches that Paul planted in the New Testament are alive and thriving today? How many do you know? Zero. 
Not one. His churches are not still alive and thriving today. But what, what happened from those churches that he planted? Well, Christianity is alive and thriving. Billions of people involved. Billions of people connected. I just want to say this. One day, Resonate Church will not exist anymore. It won't. We won't. One day, we're, we're going to close the doors. I don't know when. We're praying that it's not very soon. We're praying that it's a long time from now. We're praying that God gives us tenure and, uh, and patience in ministry. But much like the human body was designed to outlive its own lifespan through the process of reproducing, so the body of Christ was designed to carry the DNA of the kingdom of God through the timeline of history through reproduction through reproduction. Uh, in the 1400s in Italy, the average lifespan of a young woman was 45 years old, 45 years old. And so the average age of marriage was between 15 and 19 for a young woman, a young woman. And the average age of childbearing was 20. That's, that's pretty young. And it wasn't uncommon for a single family to have eight children, 10 children, 12 children. Why? Because there's a lifespan. There's a lifespan. The average lifespan of a church in America today is 30 years, 30 years. So what would it mean for us if we took that seriously as a church? Say, hey, we're not going to be around forever, but we still have a responsibility to bring the kingdom of God in this place, ex uh, extend roots down into where we are and send so that the future generations of the world have access to the gospel. But we know we don't have an extended amount of time. So let's live urgently. Let's do something with purpose. The fourth reason is just an obedience reason. And here it is. Every Christian has a commission. Every single Christian has a commission. I have seen nothing more accelerating to the unique commission of Christians than church planting. Because church planting without disciple making falls totally flat. It falls flat. It will not achieve. In other words, this the commission of believers must be activated in order for churches to start. And this gives believers a tangible reason on this side of eternity, not just because people might experience Jesus. We do that for that reason, absolutely. But a tangible reason on this side of eternity for activating their gift and really walking and learning how to be a disciple maker is church planting. I've not seen anything mature people more, more quickly. I've never seen people grow faster. I've never seen this happen more impactfully than in the, in the environment of planting churches. I've never seen people activate their gift in making disciples more actively than in church planting. Before we planted in Eugene uh, in 2017, I texted all of my friends who had planted a church at that time. And it was like this many people. I mean, like I texted them individually and I had all their numbers and imagine that. And I asked them a simple question. I just asked them this. Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to another city if I'm not going to love Jesus more. I'm not going to do it. So do you guys love Jesus more now that you have started a church? And I, I realized through their responses that I was asking the wrong question. I was asking the wrong question. Almost everybody unanimously responded to me by saying, I need Jesus more. That's what I've learned. I have a desperate need for Jesus. Man, if today you're like, I don't really feel like I need Jesus. Let me just implore you to start living on mission. 
me just implore you to start making disciples. You will very quickly realize your total inadequacy to do what he's called you to do. You will need him deeply. You will cry out to him deeply. You will long for his presence in your own heart and in the heart of others if this commission is something that you walk in. So every Christian is a disciple maker by commission. Every church should be a church planting church by commission. We don't get to punt on this. We don't get to punt on this and point the finger at somebody else. So here, as you drew, drew your picture of the church, and as we finish today, I just want to ask, does your picture of the church reflect the commission that Jesus has given to every single believer? Does your picture reflect a building? Does it reflect like something static? Does it reflect something stationary that's concrete? Does your picture reflect something that says, I'm going to use this very system, this very vehicle to bring the redemption of the Lord across the whole world? That's our picture of the church. This vehicle, this bride of Christ, this body of Christ, he is personally He's personally founded. He is the head of the body, says Colossians 1. He's given it to us. He has given this church a mission. He has given this family a mission. And this is the family way. This is who we are. This is who we are. So may the words of Jesus and may the early church, may the example of Orthodox Christians who have lived for generations before you remind you today this is who we are. My prayer for you as a response to this is to think and weigh this deeply. If this is who we are, what does that mean for you personally? Where do you need to go? What do you need to do? What do you need to rely on the Holy Spirit for? What do you need to do that will create a deep necessity for the presence of God in your life? Let me just challenge you and encourage you. You should do that thing. You should do that thing. And we'll pray that you do that thing well. We love you, Resonate. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.